From InsureTech Ireland, this is InsureTech Radio, episode number 30. I'm Connor Sweetman and welcome to InsureTech Radio, the podcast that teaches you about how technology is changing insurance and about the people making it happen. It's obviously a frustrating situation for consumers where they have cover and the cover isn't applying. But I think in general, the reality from an insurer's perspective is cover was never intended to apply in this circumstance. You know, insurance is about spreading a loss among of the few among the many. And I guess what we have in this situation is we have a loss among the many. So, you know, it's just not practical for the insurance companies to pay. Uh, ultimately, though, that it does need to be a solution. So I think what we're starting to see in the US and in the UK now is talk towards a sort of a pool re or a flood re type model where they co- the government would provide some cover and the, the industry would provide some cover. And I think ultimately that's the way we need to go. This week, you are going to hear a recording of InsureTech Ireland's first virtual meetup. We talk about what startups are doing to weather the storm of COVID 19 how consumer behaviour will change dramatically over the next 6-12 to months, and we debate whether the pace of innovation in insurance will continue to increase or will it flatten as a result of coronavirus. The event was co-hosted by Jerry DeVere and Stan Nazarenko, so I'll hand it over to them to set the scene. Enjoy. A few months since we actually had an organised event, uh, I think it was before Christmas, and with the current restrictions, we certainly felt like um, it could be another couple of months before we could reasonably plan to do so. So we decided to embrace the tech. Um, we're techies at heart and go online. Um, as Stan said, you're all probably fairly well used to working from home um, at this point. I mean, some of us have been doing this for, for many years to some degree, um, while others are kind of coming to terms with the, the brave new world. Um, so it, it is a learning experience. The format today will be, as Stan said, a, a little more um, of a discussion a little more informal and then as we kind of learn how to do this and what works and, and, and what we see we'll, we'll hopefully um, start to, to go back to a bit more of a, uh, a structured format that we've had before as you know with a couple of speakers and, and the kind of broader Q&A. So moving on let's let's talk about a, an agenda again fairly informal um, we are going to start with um, some updates from um, some of the founders that we, the InsurTech uh, founders that we have on board about how the COVID-9 pandemic is affecting them and their businesses um, then we'll talk about uh, some broader issues that consider the impact of the pandemic on the industry as a whole. Um, we'll hear a bit more from our founders and also from some others with some specific industry experience. Uh, after that, we'll open up the floor to some, uh, some Q&A, the virtual floor, and uh, we'll finish up with some closing comments. And our plan is to be done by the top of the hour, so uh, we should have you done and dusted by 5 o'clock, so you can finish up whatever you need to do. And... Uh, and get back to the, the the new world order. Okay, so we'll jump straight into it. Um, we do have some InsureTech founders on the call. Uh, we stand and myself, um, as you know, uh, Raphael from Ublio is here, uh, Michael Crawford and Mick Cooney, who are, are uh, my co-founders at Describe Data. Uh, I think there's another couple of founders out there as well. So um, what I'd like to do is kind of jump straight into it. Um, I want to ask, uh, Let's see. Maybe we'll start with with Raphael and then and then uh, move on to to Michael. Um, so, are you guys doing anything specifically different now as a result of this? Uh, and if so, what are you doing differently, and why? And and what is the obje- objective of what you're doing differently? So maybe I'll start with you, Raphael. Hi, Jerem. Um, from an operational point of view, or from um, 
collaboration within the team, we're not doing much different because we were already a distributed team uh, across Belgium and uh, Ireland. So from that point of view, we are not doing that anything meaningful different. Uh, we see ourselves doing more interactive calls at this point. Um, and we also see now that um, apparently there is a lot of consumer demand. Uh, a lot of questions are out there. So we see that our chat forums or that our applications are being used by completely new people and they have travel insurance questions and they have um, signposting questions like, can you guide me towards a broker who is using your software uh, to uh, to get their answers, uh, to get the, the questions answered that, the, that they have. Um, also, and that's the final thing, we also see that a lot of brokers are struggling with IT demand uh, with IT questions. So they reach out to us. Uh, uh, they are aware that we're not doing the IT support for them, but they're uh, asking us to get to bring them in contact with with parties that we trust that can upscale uh, upscale their connections, etc. So that's the difference we see. Um, our face-to-face -face meetings, of course, they're uh, almost none. We have a few video calls with potential uh, new customers. Um, but that's not that much. So, so nothing significantly different. Do you do you feel that the people that you're dealing with um, are, are doing anything different? Um, from brokers' perspective, because our users are mostly brokers who are using uh, our software to get in touch with their end customers, um, we see that uh, there is a surge in demand uh, and and in the usage of the software. We see that they're roughly 20% more active on the tool to communicate with their uh, consumers for now. Um, but we see the same drop in new potential uh, brokers to be onboarded there. So they're probably just scrambling to get, uh, to get their work, just to get their work done. Interesting. Michael, jumping over to you. Um, so, I kind of know the answer to this, obviously, because I'm, I'm part of the team, but I'll let you answer it. So what specifically are Describe doing differently um, and, and why and, and what kind of objectives are we are we striving for? Operationally, as well as um, not an awful lot of change because we were pretty distributed anyway. You know, we, we work from home quite a lot. We work at a dog patch in Dublin and we're in we've a more or less continuous presence in London um, in the Lloyd's lab. So we've kind of had to build the company to be resilient to this kind of thing because we, wherever we lay our hat is our home. So everything's done in the cloud. All our development's done in the cloud. Um, so that actually hasn't changed an awful lot. And we're quite used to working like this. We have a, we kind of have, we've kind of settled on a, a really good set of tools that we all use. Um, and we have a daily stand-up meeting that we all go to via Zoom. We've been doing it for about a year. So you know, day-to-day -day things in terms of the business are, are more or less the same. Um, we obviously kind of had a come to Jesus meeting kind of about, you know, two or three weeks ago when everything started to get yep. serious and, and made some very, very kind of binary decisions about how we were going to go forward from a, from an operational point of view. Um, and in terms of, you know, looking after, you know, making, making sure that we had the runway enough to, to survive, you know, three, six months of this, um, which we, you know, with some quite swinging kind of, kind of cuts and some big changes in some of our plans, um, and doing things in-house rather than hiring people we, we can do that so that's kind of been, been the major change in the business in terms of actually um talking to people i mean there was there's been a couple of weeks where companies we were dealing with have started to have, have got used to working basically being gone from 
being able to work from home to having to work from home. And that's been a huge road bump for a lot of people. Um, just even, you know, constantly I work for talking to some uh, crowd I used to work to where they have 900 people and maybe, you know, literally everyone trying to log onto the system at nine, nine o'clock on you know, Monday morning, two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And literally the whole thing went pear-shaped on them. Those sorts of things have seemed to have slowly but surely um, getting fixed and people are kind of getting used to this. So we're kind of seeing a slight, you know, a bit of a, a revival in meetings. Again, we, we had a two weeks where we've actually had very few kind of face-to-face -face kind of even, you know, um, video meetings with people and slowly but surely they're coming back into the diary now we've a couple of three or four meetings tomorrow and so it's whether things are getting back to normal or not but there's a new normal uh, we'll find out how it's going to affect business and people's plans later on um i suspect it is going to have a, a pretty dramatic effect on on the way people are going to operate and what their commitment is going to be but you know it is what it is and you've got to deal with it as a startup you know Yep. I love that term that you I, I've heard you use many times, the new normal. I think that's that's really where it's at. Stan, you're a you're a startup founder. Um, how is it affecting Piprate? What are you doing differently? Thanks, Jerry. Um well, first of all, uh, it was very interesting to learn from Raphael and Michael and uh, and realize that uh my um update uh, is is somewhat similar. Uh first of all, uh we share the same culture of, uh, of working remotely anyway. So from, from the operational perspective, uh, it didn't really affect us that much. And it's an embarrassing, interesting observation for, for everyone. Is it just a, uh, a small um, subset of um, startups uh, who are doing it that way? Or will we hear the same answer from, from, from most of, of insurtech startups out there? It's an interesting point to, to consider. Um, so um, Yes, we were reasonably well prepared for this kind of mode of operation. Um, all our um, hardware servers are, are in the cloud. Um, luckily, um, we when we did a bit of an investigation about the resilience of, of the cloud, it seems that um, uh, there's nothing to worry about just yet, uh, even with uh, really um, severely increased the amount of, of traffic, uh, we didn't really see virtually any impact on, on our uh, backend systems. Um, in terms of um, business uh, changes, uh, definitely we are seeing, um, um, we, have, we, we have seen a, a bit of a slowdown in um, interactions, even though, as Michael said, it is picking up again um, over the last couple of days. Uh, we're seeing more meeting requests coming in. We have heard from uh, a couple of um, potential partners, which we didn't uh, talk to for a while, with inquiries around uh, our digital um, propositions, which um, I would account for as, uh, as one of the um, consequences of, of the current situation. There is uh, a heightened interest in uh, digital solutions. And just, just to give you an idea what we do and, and, and why it's important, uh, our most recent project was um, uh, a collaboration with another insurtech, uh, Babel Cover, and uh, a Maltese uh, insurer. So we launched a bicycle insurance product there, which is fully digital. It's all mobile only, pretty much. And um, I, I see this kind of um, uh, way to deliver products will be, uh, will be um, seeing more demand in the future. That's interesting. There, there's a question there from Eddie um, about what changes, if any, do you see in, in the long term? So, um, I mean, to your last point, that, that's somewhat relevant. Um, I know that's something we'll, we'll talk about a bit more, but 
certainly for me, from for the, from the described perspective, um, I think it's a great question. I, I don't know the answer, and I, I don't think anybody does. I think society is going to, um, again, in, in my opinion, is going to have some kind of reset. You know, the world will not be the same after this. Um, how we interact with each other will change, and the kinds of things that we do will change. And, you know, how that impacts startups and the industry in general, um, I, I, I really don't know. I'd, I'd love to have a crystal ball and give you something a bit more solid. Um, Stan, do you have any, any kind of last thoughts on that before we move on to the next one? Um, I think it's one of the topics uh, um, we would like to hear more um, in our se second uh, part of the webinar. So, so maybe yeah. let's... let's uh... Good. Okay. Um, let's move on. So the, the other... The other kind of question that we, we were talking about is, is really uh, what are you most worried about? So what what kind of keeps you awake at night as a result of this and, and in what way can you mitigate against it? Um, Michael, can I throw that to you to you first? We'll go kind of in reverse order this time. Uh, sure. Um, what would keep me awake at night? <laughs> this sounds, yeah. Do you want to work? Uh, hold on, I get my That was a mistake asking um, you that question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I mean, you know, being in a startup is pretty, you know, it's pretty, you know, you're pretty, you're pretty yeah, exposed yeah. to a lot of stuff. So, you know, a lot of stuff is keeping me awake at night for the past 18 months. I mean, the last, the, the, the main thing, I mean, for us in, in, in terms of being totally honest is, you know, we were just about to start on a fundraising and kind of looking at raising funds. And that's either going to basically be drastically delayed and probably and being um, going to be kind of probably at a lower level if it, if it happens. So that is kind of, you know, something that kind of has kept, you know, it's basically, you know, the, the new big, big risk on the horizon. You know, we've had to basically make some. Having said that, you know, we've talked to quite a few VCs and a few people in the, in the market and then over the last kind of two weeks just to get a, a sign and there is a lot of positivity you know in terms of you know we're not going to stop investing completely things will be difficult but but you know everyone's talking the talk but whether they walk the walk that that will be remain to be seen and they have to put their hands in the pocket to write a yeah. check or something like that so that's that's one one risk i mean the other risk is yeah. you know from our point of view from from our point of view dealing with large companies is you know that you know they're that they spend the next six months or 12 months basically trying to adopt to adapt to what's happening at the moment and they just don't end up you know innovation or any kind of new 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 thing goes out the door then you know you're going to see a massive kind of almost a, a dinosaur um ending event for innovation in across the whole swathe i think of, of of fintech um that's going to be you know that's going to be you know there's going to be a, probably a, a two or three or four year trek back out to build that infrastructure back out so that's going to be that's going to be quite interesting to see how that plays out you know ah uh, okay Interesting. We will talk about investment a little bit more um, in in the second part. Um, Raphael, do you want to do you want to comment on that? So, um, the question specifically was around uh, things that you're you're particularly worried about and any mitigation actions. Yeah, the thing that worries us a little bit is uh, it's it's related to investment and innovation. Um, we're a bit worried that uh, as we were expanding into the small business market anyway. Uh, both from a policyholder perspective and from smaller brokers. Uh, we fear that maybe the second half of this year, there will be less investment or less opportunity to, uh, to upsell uh, our services uh, in that area. So that's, that's most of our uh, worries and we're working on a plan to, to mitigate that. But we have right. no, clear, no clear answer yet. We'll have to see... Uh, 
it might be that it, this uh, this will become the new normal, as you mentioned, uh, and then it's potentially it's easier for us to sell anyway. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely some upsides, and hopefully we'll we'll talk about that a, a, a little bit later. Okay. Um, Stan, did you want to talk, make some comments on, on worries and mitigations, or do you want to move on to the next stage? Um, yes. Um, so, so first of all, um, just in the interest of uh, information sharing, uh, when I was talking about no interruptions uh, from the cloud perspective, we are using Amazon, AWS. So just, just a, a, a point. Um, thinking of um, what we are most worried about, um, one uh, important concern is definitely investment. Um, it's uh, it's a combination of different factors. It's exposure to the current um, uh, condition, to um, quarantine, to people being less available sometimes, it multiplied by um, um, the market conditions. Uh, because any fluctuations in financial markets obviously affect uh, the investment regime as well. And uh, second, uh, most important point for us is uh, availability and, and access uh, from the insurance partner's perspective. Because, uh, well, if you think about even like in a normal mode of operation, we all know that uh, just don't bother approaching reinsurers when there is a renewal season because they're all way, way too busy with with um, with doing business. Um, as you can imagine, innovation is, is also one of those areas when the, there is fire burning somewhere in the business. Innovation is, is one of the first things to, to drop off the, the list. Uh, and uh, our worry is that um, um, the collaboration with, with our insurance partners will be even slower. It, 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 it's slow in general in the industry, but it may slow down even more significantly in the future. That, that, that's a, my biggest worry, I'd say. Yep. I think I, I, I would echo what, what we've heard before. Um, again, coming back to the new normal, you know, when people ask us, what, what are we most worried about? We kind of say, look, the same stuff that we were primarily worried about before this. Um, as startups, as you all know, uh, well, most of the insurance we're talking about here are fairly, fairly early to middle stage. Um, we we have kind of interruptions in in compensation and cash flow fairly regularly. I mean, that's part of the game. Um, we live in a world of relative uncertainty anyway because of what we do. So it hasn't changed the way that we operate dramatically. However, everything that's outward facing as an organization has changed. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about the upside. I mean, it, it's all kind of doom and gloom around at the moment, but um, if you try and look at things as, as the glass half full, I think, you know, uh, we, we will consider maybe what, what positives, if any, can, can come out the other side. But um, so, sometimes as a startup, it's, it's kind of nice to, um, to put the rest of the world on, on hold for a minute. And, uh, and see how that goes. So, okay, um, I think we're pretty much uh, bang on schedule. So we want to move on to the next round of questions. Okay, um, so um, we heard from, from the founders uh, and uh, for this section of the webinar, we would really like to invite everyone who who has uh, certain um, comments to make about the topics which we'll raise, uh, please raise your hand and um, uh, we will be very happy to give you time. Um, 
So the first question is uh, what, what Jerry uh, asked me a couple of minutes ago. It's, it's about a broader impact of the current crisis. Um, as, as they say, um, um, with every crisis comes an opportunity. And uh, we would like to hear from our founders and from experts who, who are in the audience and from literally anyone who has something to say um, in general. Um, so is this crisis going to accelerate innovation? And we can talk about digitization and modernization of insurance. And if so, uh, what do you think uh, these changes will be? Uh, please raise your hands. Do we want to pick on someone if nobody raises their hands? Yeah, absolutely. Will. <laughs> I think we've got a, we've got a few good uh, potential people to answer that question. Uh, I can see Lorcan in the audience. Lorcan, oh, would you like to um, say something? I think we just had Mike there as well. So uh, yeah, we did. Hi guys, I'm, apologies, I'm, I'm late joining. It's it's Mike Ennis here from Deloitte. Ah, uh, Mike, how are you? Good. How are you guys? Good, good. Yeah, far away. I, I thought I'd just give a perspective from certainly what we're hearing from our colleagues in Asia, where you know some of the crisis is starting to dissipate, uh, and some of the restrictions around movement, etc., have been lifted. Um, but one of the kind of interesting and Slightly fun things is, you know, cinemas and theatres are now um, opening back up, but uh, there's very little to see because a lot of the production in Hollywood is shut down. So they're rerunning a lot of um, older movies now just to uh, keep the audiences coming in. But certainly what we're seeing, um, and not just in insurance, but across the board industry-wide, is uh, a recognition that, broadly speaking, operational resilience has been very poor. Uh, lots, lots of organizations. There is a significant push to enhance digital services, push more around um, self-serve. Certainly the virtual workforce, I think um, you'll see a lot of organizations having figured out that they can operate remotely, whether it's call centers or um, other even face-to-face -face operations now. Um, considering, you know, why go back to the previous model um, when we when we can put in place, you know, a more robust uh, virtual workforce uh, that can operate very effectively in terms of customer service and quality, but also can help organizations reduce their footprint in terms of real estate. Um, uh, we're also seeing a big push towards cloud for obvious reasons um, around, you know, operational resilience, flexibility, virtual workforce. So we're starting to see those requests coming in through our um, kind of Asia practice. Uh, and certainly I can see a lot of organizations now re-looking at how they deliver sales and service to their to their customers um, with a view to, you know, let's 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 be innovative and, and reinvent and not go back to the original models and actually consider how we can do something that even though we were forced to do it because the crisis now has really pushed us to reconsider what we should do in the future. So just to give you perspective on, on what we're seeing at the other side of the world coming through. And I think that will, you'll start to see, uh, you know, as this lifts in the next couple of weeks and months, I think you'll start to see organizations thinking much more holistically about their operating models and how they serve their customers going forward. That's great, Mike. Really, really good, uh, really good perspective there. Sure. Stan, back to you. Um, 
Uh, Mike, uh, on, on this point, uh, there's a question for, from Eddie um, again. Um, what do you think about outsourcing to places like India? Um, do you think uh, this will be brought back to Europe or the other way around? Yeah, it's a good point, actually. It's uh, something that I heard on a call earlier on. Um, you know, a lot of organizations have outsourced facilities in India and, you know, other 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 locations, even closer to home or in, you know, Central Europe, etc. We We have our own facilities in the likes of Bucharest and obviously we, we big practices uh, from an outsource perspective in India. Um, it's an interesting one, actually. I think the kind of the operational resilience point that I made earlier on really seems to be coming home. And I think it's a question of how do you get the most effective service delivery? And, you know, if the likes of your outsource facilities or your BPO give you that flexibility and security. And, you know, I think one of the other things that we're seeing is, and you may have talked about it on the call is the fact that you now have large workforces working remotely, you know, cyber is becoming an issue uh, and there's been a lot of risks raised around um, security of data, security of access, sensitivity around uh, file transfers, customer data, financial data, et cetera. So I think, you know, relooking at operational resilience with a view to where can those services be done but I think the, the, the key point is doing it virtually or remotely, I think will now be front and center as opposed to an afterthought. Uh, but I certainly think, you know, some of those outsource facilities of which we're, we're all very familiar, I think they will probably continue. Uh, but the organizations may look at what are the types of engagement that we think add most value for our business that we should retain. Uh, and that's either we control it centrally um, and have it closer to home or actually what what services can we now and should we now focus on face-to-face -face that add real value in terms of customer intim intimacy or engagement? Thank you, Mike. This is great. Um, is there anyone else in the audience uh, who would like to speak? Okay, um, I'm not seeing any hands. Uh, so I will ask, uh, I, I will try something new because again, this is a bit of a test run for, for running these events. Uh, you should see um, uh, different button, buttons uh, in your Zoom application, like yes, no, um, and so on. So I will give you a quote uh, from one of uh, InsureTech founders uh, about the, this big opportunity question. And uh, if you please use your uh, yes or no buttons uh, and indicate whether you agree or not. So the quote is uh, from uh, Christopher Wyans from, from Get Safe. And um, in his recently published interview, um, uh, he said that um, mobile first approach, technical infrastructure and direct sales are protected against this crisis. Would you agree with this statement or not? Interesting, I can see a lot of access. Fairly anonymous, I think, for those that have responded, yeah. Um, um, I, I will just have to pick on some, somebody, uh, Pat O'Brien, I can see that he, the answer though was, was, was yes. Uh, would you like to comment on that? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, hard to, it's hard to comment on it, Stan, I guess really what I was saying is I, I do think we will see this push towards digital. Uh, so the more digital we have, the more important the mobile phone will become, uh, whether it's the pure solution or not. Is unclear, but I think we definitely will see a continued push to digital. And you know, it's interesting to hear Mike's comments from Asia uh, because they are obviously 
several weeks ahead of us. But, you know, I think some of those trends there around uh, the, the future of office space, the push towards cloud, the cyber risks, you know, they all seem to make a lot of sense. So I do think we'll come back to, to Jerry's point of having this new normal maybe in three months' time or six months' time, and uh, it'll be a little bit different. Thank you very much. Okay, um, next question is uh, to Raphael. Uh, specifically because of your experience, um, are we sensing that consumer behavior will change post uh, COVID-19? And if yes, how? And also, um, what do you think? Uh, which types of insurers um, and insurer techs are best positions to um, react well to, to these changes? Yeah, we already saw a change, uh, as in uh, a lot of consumers, they were they uh, had some issues with their travel insurance or with their credit cards. They thought that they were covered for all of this and they wanted to cancel their Airbnb or booking uh, reservations. And then they found out that it was not covered by any of uh, the above. So I am positive that the consumers will change uh, the type of products that they will uh, will get from their broker or that they get themselves online. Uh, but I'm also conscious that the human mind has a very short, short-term memory. So I think within a few months, people will forget a lot of these issues and will go back to, they will bounce back to their, their normal self. Uh, I have one uh, one remark here, uh, and I think it's it's related to what Mike from, from Deloitte said. Um, I think a lot of small businesses for the first time now, if they already had the business continuity plan, this was the first time that they ever had to invoke it and at the worst possible time because the whole world was uh, trying to, to test uh, in real life the, their business continuity. So if you count small businesses by, with the consumers, uh, I think they're very aware that there was a big uh, gap in their resilience and in, in, in their uh, operational continuity of their services. Yeah. Thank you, Raphael. Is there anyone uh, in the audience who would like to comment on, on that? Agree or disagree? If we, we don't see anybody uh, commenting, I, I, I'll jump in there for a second because uh, we, we have a real world example of that. So my partner has a small salon. She has, uh, she has two um, salons that do massage and, and various therapies. And, and she has business interruption insurance, of course, you know, because we talk about insurance sometimes. Um, her cover for business interruption was, uh, was well, not declined, but the the insurance company through the broker basically said that they weren't liable. And um, it was really interesting when you look at the wording, um, it comes under a clause around notifiable disease. And that was defined as food or drink poisoning or um, in infectious diseases other than HIV. But it was interesting that it should uh, be sustained by any person on the insurance premises. And basically they were saying because the um, virus didn't occur at the premises, that it actually occurred somewhere else, um, that there wasn't a, a, a liability, which technically speaking, there isn't under the terms and conditions of the contract. But, but to your point, a lot of people who maybe hopefully had the foresight to buy business interruption insurance are not, not even coming close to any level of cover here. 
and we've seen stuff in the media which we can talk about where the you know the government um was trying to encourage insurance companies to be a bit more open but you know i mean that's that's a little unfair too and uh you know that's a, that's a different subject but um if anything i think it will discourage people from buying those types of insurance in the future because you lose that that level of trust I see uh, Ian from Hanover. Uh, Ian, did you want to comment? Yeah, I guess just on that point, uh, Jerry. Yeah, I think well, certainly the, one of the first things that came to mind when you when you mentioned that was obviously I'm sure most people would have read in the papers at the weekend about the central bank looking to enforce that, um, and certainly we're seeing it. I just come off a call with the states where we're looking like globally, you're seeing state by state um, sort of different state bodies um, invoking that insurers do pay out even with, let's say, uh, credible, um, not, not saying your wife's case credible, not credible, but as per the word, incredible uh, credible claims or, you know, a, a reason to dispute. So I'd be curious to see everyone else's anecdotal sort of feedback on that on the local Irish market, given that most of our primary insured are, are sort of more global than that. But the other interesting point when you mentioned on the, the kind of fine point, I we had another call with some South African colleagues and again, the business interruption over there on, on the Western Cape, which was an entire tourist area, completely shut down. I think the, the the burden of proof has to be on the the claimant there to show that there was, so the local hotel, let's say, might have to show that there was a, a, a cert, certified case within a 50 kilometer radius of the hotel for the business interruption to be evoked. So I'm just seeing very interesting from different uh, different global uh, regulatory um, you know environments, like the kind of the different sort of obstacles and, and hurdles to, to overcome to kind of get payout on these. So I'd be curious to hear of, uh, of other people's you know uh, experience in that. Absolutely. Uh, I see Pat had his hand up as well. Pat, did you want to say something on that? And then if anyone has any other local or international anecdotes? Um, yeah, I guess, Jerry, I just, you know, it's obviously a frustrating situation for consumers where they have cover and the cover isn't applying. But I think in general, the reality from an insurer's perspective is cover was never intended to apply in this circumstance. You know, insurance is about spreading a loss among of the few among the many. And I guess what we have in this situation is we have a loss among the many. So, you know, it's just not practical for the insurance companies to pay. Uh, ultimately, though, that it does need to be a solution. So I think what we're starting to see in the US and in the UK now is talk towards a sort of a pool re or a flood re type model where they the government would provide some cover and the, the industry would provide some cover. And I think ultimately that's the way we need to go. Totally agree. There's, there is a bit of a PR spin too when, when the government and the central bank encourage insurance companies to pay out. You know, as I said, we 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 don't often defend some of the some of the incumbent insurance companies, but that is a little bit unfair to move the goalposts after the event. You know, we all know that insurance is, is based on assessment of risk and setting premium and all that kind of thing. It's it's a bit for me in, in simplistic terms. It's a bit like betting on a horse. Each way pays out. You know first four places and the horse comes sixth and you go, ah, you know, Paddy Power, go on, you might as well pay out on six, you know, and as, as you say, everybody is looking for that, that at the same time, which which takes away the distribution of risk across the board. Now, it, it isn't a simple problem. And I think the, the poolery or the combined solution or even some kind of federal solution in different cases for what we would hope would be very unique circumstances might might be the way that we do this. And maybe that that uses the insurance companies in the middle and that money gets passed back through the system. Um, as I say, there's a there's a lot of people would disagree with a lot of elements of that and probably rightly so, but it's it's a very complex question. No, it is. And I think the other point just to make on that is, you know, the, the talk about uh, changing laws retrospectively is a very dangerous precedent for the future too. So I think that's something that we need to avoid at all costs if possible. 
thank you, Pat, for your observations. And um, uh, by the way, you may have seen it in, um, in, in different discussions um, online that uh, as uh, Hurricane Andrew uh, triggered a huge um, um, movement towards uh, better ways to uh, model catastrophe risk, uh, this crisis uh, is definitely a call for, for better modeling uh, of pandemic exposures. Um, of course, there are some, some models out there already, but if we ever wanted to, to price this risk, uh, this is another very interesting area to talk about, but maybe, uh, maybe, maybe not today because it's, it's, it's quite big. So um, I noticed that um, Nisha Hartnett uh, is um, in the audience, uh, and I know that there was um, a uh, feature in the Irish Times, uh, I think last week, uh, about the impact on on insurers and innovation in general, and uh, and also um, um, as I remember uh, um, his um, presentations uh, at one of our meetups uh, last year, um, he was talking uh, about regulatory cha challenges and and uh, reaction from from the regulator, um, um, and and now maybe it's a good um, question to ask him what he thinks the impacts and difficulties will be in the, that area. Nisha. Um, okay, I think from a legal perspective and certainly kind of some of the practical things that we're seeing in the market at the moment with clients is certain clients with certain types of business and certain types of exposures um, have had regulatory capital implications arising from market movements. For example, where they're holding um, a large amount of investments in equities, for example, um, or where there's been changes in consumer sentiments, and they're trying to plug some of those holes in their balance sheet to the extent there isn't a buffer there, um, or a sufficient buffer anymore as against their solvency capital requirements. Another big area of focus is outsourcing and business continuity processes. So you're talking here about operational resilience. and big concern for the regulators and the Central Bank of Ireland would be the extent to which there's substandard performance in outsourcing contracts from service providers who are impacted by COVID-19. And you kind of get into some of the territory there around your exit strategies from, um, from those outsourcing arrangements um, and the substitutability of those outsourcing arrangements and how that interlinks in with business continuity processes. So anecdotally, I think we're hearing that a lot of the service providers in the market are holding up relatively well, albeit working day and night and having to problem solve some, some practical problems. Um, but we are hearing that those sort of things are generally working okay. Um, there's been a lot of focus around force majeure clauses um, in contracts, which um, by virtue of the pandemic, could potentially allow a counterparty to a contract to argue that they are not required to provide uh, the performance of the contract or provide a substandard um, service. Um, but there, there hasn't been a huge amount of those um, clauses emerging and the, the regulator obviously would be concerned that there might be some sort of consumer impact from those clauses in contracts. Another big area we're seeing people looking at is their risk assessment and management. So when are insurers or reinsurers acting outside the risk appetite statements in this environment as things change? So there's a lot of looking at the levels of risk that they're bearing at the moment and when does this trigger a notification requirement to the CBI, i.e. when has something material occurred which puts you outside your risk um, appetite and which requires you to go to the Central Bank of Ireland. And obviously if you do that, there'll be a heightened regulatory focus going forward. 
there's been a lot of focus as well in the media and from you know particular insurers and reinsurers who are impacted um, from certain lines of business. So the obvious ones there are business interruption, travel insurance, wedding insurance, and event cancellation insurance. Um, business interruption, I suppose, is the one that's got the most media attention. There's been a lot of talk about um, insurers attempting to wriggle out of cover, um, and you know some some movements from the government and the Central Bank of Ireland about insurers acting appropriately. Um, a lot of talk about um, how if their businesses had cover in the event of an official lockdown or acquired lockdown um, or closure of businesses, that that should be a, um, allow them to recover in the current circumstances where it's essentially an advised closure of business. My understanding is there aren't a huge amount of business interruption contracts in the market which um, would actually fall into that bracket. So some of what we're seeing from the central bank and government, you know, is really kind of window dressing the fact that there's going to be a lot of businesses where they clearly won't have um, the type of cover required. Most business interruption policies will apply to either physical risks like fire or um, risks like um, outbreaks of name diseases on the premises. So there's a real issue there for businesses as to whether they're going to have cover or not. And while some of the pressure from government and the central bank might help a limited amount of businesses, the majority will probably not have cover. And from the insurer's perspective, they're very unlikely to provide cover where the strict terms of the contract don't require it. The reason for that would be the reinsurance won't provide um, cover for them in those circumstances. And in terms of making ex gratia or discretionary payments in Ireland, a lot of the insurers who offer that cover would actually have um, business outside Ireland. And you know, if they do something like that in Ireland, they'd have to they'd have to do that abroad as well. There has been a little bit of a rumour about potentially some retrospective legislation, and um, which would require insurers to provide cover um, for business interruption in the current circumstances. I think that would be very bad from an Ireland Inc. perspective. I don't see that happening. That will create a huge amount of legal issues and um, constitutional issues, even. So um, I don't see that happening, but. Um, I think what we're more likely to see going forward is some sort of a solution for pandemic cover, which will be equivalent to the, the terrorism or the flood type cover in the UK um, through poolery or floodery. We're probably going to see some governmental and insurance industry um, solution to this problem because the pandemic cover just falls down when you have claims from that many people. Insurance is supposed to respond to the losses of the few um, through the, the premiums which are gathered from the many and in this sort of circumstance, it just falls down. And then the other things we're seeing just like quickly are um, you know, practical things about how to maintain business as usual in the current circumstances. So the use of e-signatures, the temporary replacement um, process for PCFs and senior management. Um, essentially, you need to have agreement from the CBI. Those PCFs can't be replaced um, on, a, on, a, you know, on a needs basis. And then the other thing that we see a bit about is uh, virtual board meetings. So they're the primary things we're seeing in the market at the moment. And I think that's some of the hits on some of the points which were discussed earlier on the webinar. Totally agree. Yeah. Stan, do you want to fire on? Uh, thank you, Jerry. Okay. Um, so uh, we are approaching the last 10 minutes uh, of our webinar. And um, we have a couple of more questions prepared, but I also wonder if... Um, if um, anyone has any more questions for, for our speakers. Don't see any more in, in the chat. Um, I think we did, we did talk a little bit about investment earlier. 
and now Michael's talked about some of the conversations we've had. Um, not to, to be putting people on the spot necessarily, but Pat, you're you're in a unique situation as a reinsurer who's also an investor. Um, I think you have a you have a pretty well informed perspective on on I guess appetite and sentiment, um, albeit maybe not from a traditional VC perspective. So, um, would you like to comment on on your thoughts on on how this is impacting um, appetite and and sentiment for? Uh, for investment in insure tech, I guess not just at the startup level, but kind of in general. Yeah, Jerry, I, I think it's it's hard to say at this stage. You know, it, it's quite early on, but certainly we have seen uh, a number of our portfolio companies have been looking to raise funds, having to slow things down in the last uh, couple of weeks. So we had quite a few companies who were raising funds in February and March. Uh, the guys who got it done in February are sitting quite pretty now, and they're quite pleased with themselves. Um, the guys who had stuff to, that was due to close at the end of March are, are a little bit nervous. So we have we have one portfolio company where they have a signed term sheet, but it's been delayed. And so there's a limited partnership putting funds together to invest in this and they're a little bit concerned going to their, you know, their stakeholders, I guess, uh, in the current environment when equity markets are up and down every day looking to raise capital. So I think we will see, you know, certainly things being delayed. Um, you know, what it means in the long term is hard to say. Uh, I'd like to think we'll get back to the normal and certainly there has been a lot of money slushing around in the private equity market. So uh, hopefully some of that can uh, remain focused on, on the insurance tech space. Thank you, Pat. Um, um, does anyone else have um, feedback on uh, the level of investments we may see in the future in the insurance tech space? Okay, um, last question, which is closely connected to the point about investments. Well, if, um, if we do think that um, the current crisis will have a negative uh, impact on, on the short-term future investments for startups, um, what other help is available? Um, we have heard um, many different uh, promises and uh, something some promises were also already made into a law in, in some jurisdictions about support for businesses for um, people who may have lost their jobs and so on and um, what does it mean for for a startup space um, as, as jerry mentioned uh, in the, in the very beginning of this conversation um, even though our message seemed to be quite positive about having limited impact on, on our operational um, aspects of our work, um, yet well, everyone will feel the impact because of um, uh, significant um, uh, challenges uh, um, in the economy. So what do governments in different um, jurisdictions uh, do about that? Um, I will give you a couple of uh, data points um, even though it's such a, a rapidly changing space uh, you may have um, um, better information in that area i have seen that um, a number of proposals have been put in front of the british government around what should be done um, to keep startups afloat because um, we don't want to to lose a couple of years of of um, innovation 
if if startups uh, cannot survive this crisis. Uh, there have been talks about um, um, putting some kind of a runway fund uh, to be able to um, provide convertible loan notes to startups up to half a million uh, pounds um, for at least nine months of operation. Uh, in France, we saw uh, another initiative uh, that startups start can borrow up to up, up as much uh, as um, two years of payroll for the employees, or 25 of 25 uh, percent of annual revenue. If we look at the Irish situation, um, unfortunately, well, as far as I know, we, we haven't seen any firm commitments. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But we have heard of a couple of initiatives going on in this space, including um, an initiative uh, led by Scale Ireland. It's, 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 it's a local organization here who um, um, represents the startup community. And they have put uh, a couple of uh, suggestions uh, in an open letter to the government, I think, or, or they are in the process of doing it. One of them is um, um, ability to accelerate payment of R&D rebates for startups and reducing the um, uh, the uh, horizon from from one from, from three years to, to one year. Um, another suggestion was to put uh, up a moratorium on uh, electricity, gas, and rental bills uh, for SMEs. Again, as far as I know, um, we we haven't seen uh, any. Um, commitments uh, yet, but uh, maybe someone in the audience had heard anything. And spe specifically for questions for the founders, uh, what do you think, uh, what, what can we Irish startups can uh, expect from the government in terms, in terms of support? Anybody want to jump in there? Maybe Michael Crawford? No. Yeah, I could. I mean, I'll hop in. Um, I've been through the dot com uh, crash. Um, that was extremely unpleasant. And um, twenty oh eight, uh, that was really unpleasant as a self employed um, owner of businesses. And um, you're on your own. I think it's probably probably. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I wouldn't. Um, my 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 kind of uh, mantra in in this situations like this is expect the worst and prepare to be disappointed. So make you know. <laughs> Uh, it would be, uh, I mean, it would be welcome if it happened, but I'm not banking on it. Yeah. Short I, and sweet. I fear, I fear you're right. Um, if, if anyone hasn't seen Scale Ireland, particularly um, from a, uh, an insure tech perspective, uh, definitely check it out at scaleireland.org. Um, some very interesting entrepreneurial minds behind that, and hopefully they will help to change the landscape um, for all of us going forward. So very valuable asset. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Michael and Jerry. Uh, we are approaching the end uh, of our webinar. Uh, very quick note on our next event. So this was our test run. I, I, I think it went really well from our perspective. Uh, next time we will come back with probably more traditional format of uh, guest speakers and, and a panel and, and Q&A. Unfortunately, uh, no beer and drinks, uh, uh, but uh, we, can, we can think about uh, some sort of uh, virtual bar there, I suppose. Um, we planned to have this uh, webinar in the probably last week of April, uh, no confirmed dates yet. 
we also have a couple of more ideas which we, that, that we may do over, over the next month coming from the Global InsureTech Alliance, uh, who has just wel welcomed uh, two new members, uh, InsureTech New Zealand and uh, FinTech uh, Tokyo. Um, we are thinking of uh, some kind of um, a round-the-globe uh, marathon where different locations can join in. Nothing yet uh, confirmed, but um, um, watch this space. And uh, the last comment, I would like to um, give um, uh, Corner an opportunity to talk about InsureTech Radio and what's coming next. Corner, sweetheart. Thanks, Stan. You can hear me all right, yeah? Uh, yeah, just very quickly, uh, there's a new episode coming out uh, tomorrow. So uh, I'm trying to steer clear of news as much as I can, because I'm sure every second post on LinkedIn seems to be uh, news related. So uh, the guest tomorrow on tomorrow's episode is a guy called Ian Jeffrey, who's the founder of an insure tech startup called Breathe Life, which are a um, SaaS company, uh, and they work in the uh, life insurance space, uh, specifically in Canada, but targeting all of North America. So they very much help uh, life insurers to target mil uh, the millennial market and help them um, set up like mobile applications for distributing their services. Uh, it's a very interesting company, but he has a very interesting story. Like he's a very um, prototypical entrepreneur. He started off cutting grass when he was 12 and 13, uh, ended up going to San Francisco, and he actually uh, founded, uh, they say it was the world's first mobile photo sharing app. So this is before Instagram. Uh, in 2006, they uh, they reckon he reckons he was too early. Uh, they were eventually acquired by a company called Shutterfly in 2009. He went back to Montreal then where he uh, set up an accelerator called Founder Fuel. And um, he has set up um, Breathe Life then in 2017. So, um Really interesting guy, great story, and I'd encourage you all to check it out. Fantastic. It's great that you're you're kind of getting away from some of the negativity too. It's too easy in a lot of ways. And um, I would say if anyone hasn't listened to the last episode, which was uh, Paul Devaney um, about Seven Summits, I mean, that was, that was a really good episode as well. I mean, more about leadership and that kind of thing, but um, very positive in, in a world of bad news it was nice to get something a bit more uplifting so well done on that super stan any, any final thoughts where we when we wrap up uh yes i think it's time to wrap up um um we would really like to hear from you uh so please uh if you have any thoughts about how this webinar went and uh what we can improve or do differently please email us at info at insuretechireland.org um and um yes thank you very much for uh, for joining and stay safe thanks very much everybody keep it keep it safe as stan says and we'll uh, we'll talk to you all real soon take care bye bye Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on LinkedIn, and please visit our website, insuretechireland.org. See you next week.